Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fine podcast for you. Jiggs McDonald, who was the television voice of the New York Islanders for three of their four Stanley Cup championships in the 1980s, will join me a little later to reminisce about Mike Bossy, the Islanders' prolific goal scorer who passed away last Friday from lung cancer at the age of 65. We're going to talk Albany Empire Arena football in our first segment. The Empire opened defense of their National Arena League Championship on Saturday when they host the Carolina Cobras at 7 p.m. at MVP Arena. The team recently hosted their media day, and I had a chance to speak with a couple of team members. Let's begin with the man who guided the Empire to the NAL title, Tom Minaz. Well, Tom, we, I know we talked a couple times last year on the phone, but to uh, get a chance to finally meet you in person, uh, welcome back to the Parting Shots podcast in person. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on. Uh, as we get set here for the season, uh, what are your expectations? I mean, I, I'm looking at that big ring you have on your finger there, and uh, my goodness, it's not Atlanta Braves huge, but uh, it's, it's pretty good there. So is that the goal again? It's always the goal. Um, I tell the guys every year when we, we report to camp, we only have one goal. Um, it's not about individual stats or accomplishments. It's about winning a championship. And um, anything less than that, we had a bad season. you know. And so this group that we have assembled all have that mindset. So, um, yeah, that's what drives me uh, to continue to coach and to do what we do and surround myself with all this youthful enthusiasm is that um, steer them in the direction of, uh, you know, championship or bust kind of mentality. I mean, you said in your uh, press conference that you, once the season ended, you were right back to work. Really, not much, not, not much of a break. Getting prepared for this season. I mean, obviously, not everybody's back from last year, but you have a good portion of it back. How difficult was it to assemble a roster again this year? Well, what was funny is um, I actually, uh, my wife and I <laughs> took a one-week vacation. And uh, when I got back, I was in the office uh, after one week, and we started right away. And I pretty much had the roster I wanted by Thanksgiving, where a lot of other teams were just starting to recruit. So I got to pick from the best, if you will. And then my phone would ring constantly in the offseason, where our job becomes easier the more we build a winning culture. So I can tell you with 100% confident, half the guys in here who we've recruited, all, all said the exact same thing when they signed with us. We came here to win a ring. We came here to win a championship. Some guys are in their last year of playing. Some guys are just starting a career. But unilaterally, we built a culture where they want to come and win championships. And how much does that make your job easier, knowing that you know this organization and prior back to the Arena Football League days, they've like they put an emphasis on winning. Yeah. Well, I think I think what really. Uh, it, it's a big part of my job to instill that, right? Um, you got to do the X's and O's. You got to do the film. You got to do the, you know, in your recruitment. But the one thing I always go on is character. So I think I said this to you last year. We're going to recruit a team that has great character. And I can figure out how to win with great character. I can't figure out how to win with just talent. 
because uh, I've never been around a group that just had talent and no character. Um, that's dysfunctional. So w we first looked at character, which was an easy benchmark, and then we looked at the other side of it. Now, by the way, can they play football? And they're all the best at their craft out of anybody. So, How much easier has it been dealing with you know, the COVID situation seems to be easing a little bit. I mean, how important is that going into this season? Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's everything. I mean, trying to motivate guys to play last year in the first game where the, we knew that there would be less than a thousand people in the arena uh, and you work so hard and you're away from your family. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. We went to some arenas that had three, 400 people in them, right? Last year. And you traveled and you got there. And again, you're away from your wife, your children, your loved ones. And, you're, you know, the idea is that at least the big crowds make it better. It makes it more important, you know, almost in a way. Um, so, yeah, I am thrilled, you know, that, that we're getting out of this thing the way we are. And, and thank God uh, for that. So, I guess the biggest change on the roster is a quarterback, Tommy Grady, no longer with the team. Mike Faithful is the new quarterback. He played, played in Jacksonville, won a championship down there in 2019. What does he bring to the team? Well, not only Mike, Sam Castronova. So we, we're, we're really fortunate that we have Mike Faithful and we have Sam Castronova, which are two all-star caliber uh, quarterbacks. Mike's won a championship before. Sam's wanting to win one. Um, they compete every day at practice. They make each other better every day at practice. And um, they both have a very similar skill set, and then each one can do something the other can't do, which makes it fun. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of both of them this year. As far as who's the most team you fear most in this league? Us. I fear us the most. I don't think it, when we're at our best, anyone can beat us. I, I want to make sure that we don't get in our own way. Who are some of the other players that fans will be familiar with and some are not familiar with? Sure. Well, you got you got guys like Kenneth Magruder, who was all NAL, and uh, our defensive back, and he's one of the hardest hitters, not only in this league but in any league. Um, you have Brandon Cisse, um, playing nose, big Texas Tech veteran, you know, uh, a dominant force every time on defense. Darius Prince, of course, uh, our wide receiver who uh, was the most valuable offensive player last year. And then you have people like um, Hobbs, and uh, Hobbs is, uh, you know, just a stalwart cornerback that we, we asked for. But then it's the veterans from the other teams, too, that we picked up, like the Isaiah Hardys. And, and those guys in the Hollises and Homers and, and all of them, exceptional athletes. Uh, Grant, Antoine Grant, and uh, uh, Williams, Jordan Williams. I mean, two of the best wide receivers in the league. Now, we got Grant, Prince, and Wilson. Yeah, or Williams, rather. Come on, that's, that's a pretty formidable group. Explain to me the concept of Ironman football. Okay. Um, think of hockey. Okay. I'm a hot, big hockey fan, so yeah. <laughs> Easy then. So how you do a line shift? Okay, so the first line goes out, and they can come back and forth anytime they want. Second line goes out, they can only go out until they come back in. Right? So if a third line goes out, they can only go out 
and then when they're done, they come back in. They're dead, both those second and third line. First team can come back and forth anytime they want. So the key to it is trying to figure out a rotation where you don't kill guys, right, in the process, um, and you have an opportunity to do that. Now, here's where I've recruited. I've recruited guys so we can have a one, two, and three shift and not miss much. Sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, we just also announced that you and um, uh, Coach, Coach Ware got, got uh, contract extension through 2024. Talk, uh, talk about what Coach Ware has meant to you. Uh, he's not only my my friend, and I didn't know him until I hired him last year, and we become like brothers. Um, you know, when you go to war with somebody, there's that bond. Um, this is very similar for coaches. Um, when Mike had mentioned to me that we were going to talk about extending the contracts, um, I said I want to extend Coach Ware's contract as well, and I want to make him a part of this. Um, one thing about coaches is we're very loyal to each other, and uh, he, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant offensive mind. He's a great confidant to me. Um, he's the elder statement assistant coach, if you will. So I can go to him with grown-up problems, you know, <laughs> and get a get a get a take on what he thinks, and uh, uh, really appreciate him very much. He's been a good friend. I got to ask, you're a Detroit Lions fan, right? I am. Matthew Stafford for the Rams wins a Super Bowl for them. He makes sort of makes fun of it in a T-Mobile commercial. <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know what? First of all, I'm happy for Matt. Um, I, I'm I'm happy for him and. And the fact that he got his ring, um, I think, you know, that goes to show that it's not just a quarterback, it's who you surround yourself with, you know, not just your offensive weapons, but look at that defense. I mean, when you got Aaron Donald, I mean, come on, you know, it's like he's as responsible as Matt Stafford was, you know, for that Super Bowl win. So. I think it's a culmination that when you build a team like that, you got to do all the pieces, not just one guy. Um, but that being said, you know, I hate him very much. <laughs> I don't wish him personal ill will, just career ill will. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I, I think he'll, I think he'll, uh, I think they might do it again next year. Now, you've had some experience in the old USFL, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what I, do played, you, I played for the San Antonio Gunslinger. Okay, what do you think of the league coming back? I mean, I think it's great that there's anytime there's a new opportunity for guys to keep playing football, I think that's great. My over-under on that is I don't give them four games. Really? Why? Well, because they came out too strong, I think. They came out and said, you know, and, and I hope I'm wrong. Let me add that. But, you know, when, when I was in the USFL, we had billionaire owners. And we couldn't make it work. And now you have all the teams owned by a group, and they're all playing in one city, and they're all playing in the weekends. And how do you have Michigan Panther fans be going to Birmingham, Alabama, and Birmingham couldn't support their college football team in attendance, and that's why they had to close it down for a period of time. Uh, that and the fact that they came out saying Fox was the owner, and then Fox came out a week later in the New York Times and said, wait, 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 we're a minority owner. So I think Fox got in it for free content. I think they're hoping things pan out. I hope they do. God bless them. I mean, like I said, I want it to work because that's more jobs for more guys, right? But how did, did, that, did that affect with that league coming out? Did that affect you guys trying to sign people? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, 
there's two factors that happened. A lot of people don't know this. The first factor was the USFL, and that's a different game, right? So you want to, if you're a big field player, you're going to try that, right? So we understood the competitiveness of that. That's okay. The second thing, though, was the IFL had a ban on taking any former AFL players in their contracts. They lifted that via a lawsuit, and we lost four guys to go back to the IFL. Not because of money, not because they didn't, I don't think they wanted to play both ways, you know, and, and play Iron Man. So we've had some hurdles this offseason with the USFL, the IFL rule change on signing players, and then some coaches over there that just steal players and don't like to recruit, so they just go through rosters and poach. Um, and, and some of these young kids, you know, they get bad advice and they think they're going to get a, a better deal. And then they end up calling us. I, we, one kid in particular called me back. Coach, I'm sorry. Can I come back? Can I come back? We already filled your spot. No, you can't come back. So, Well, Tom, I appreciate a few minutes. It's going to be a fun season and hopefully get out to see a game. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Up next is new quarterback Mike Faithful. He previously played in the NAL with the Jacksonville Sharks. He played collegially at UCLA, where he backed up former NFL first-round selection Josh Rosen. Well, Mike, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Welcome to Albany. Uh, what are your first impressions of Albany? You know, it's such a tight-knit community here, and there's so much support for the Empire, and I'm just excited to get back up here and really, you know, immerse myself in football and try to bring back a title. Obviously, uh, team second season in the uh, North Arena North, uh, League won the championship last year. I mean, do you feel any kind of pressure coming in here? You know, obviously, Tommy Grady had a great year last year. Uh, now you're the guy, and do you feel pressure to, to try to emulate what he did and try to get this team back to the championship game? Sure. I, I think whenever you come into a championship team, there's always a, a certain standard that you have to meet. But um, I, I just feel so fortunate to have a great team around me, and, and that kind of takes a lot of the pressure off my shoulders and just knowing that I got to get them the ball and not try to do too much and uh, you know it just I'm just so excited you know just after the first week of practice just seeing everybody perform it's gonna be a fun year. What is the adjustment like going from playing quarterback outdoors at UCLA which you did we'll ask you a little bit more about UCLA in a minute to to going uh, playing indoor football? (laughs) It it was tough it was very tough The, the arena game is very fast and the decisions are a lot quicker. But um, first year, you know, I struggled a little bit getting the hang of it. But, you know, going into my fourth, fifth season now, it's, it's starting to slow down. And um, it, it did take a minute, though, to, to make those adjustments. Yeah. I mean, getting to know your receivers, I mean, with this new, since you're new here, I mean, how has that been going? It's been great. Everybody's been very welcoming. Uh, we haven't had any problems. They're, they're, again, they're all so talented, and they're, and they're all really good guys. And I'm just excited to get to work with them. You know, it's, it's a really good experience. I'm just looking up a bio here. Uh, you were a quarterback at UCLA. Uh, 2016, you started the season as a holder, ended up starting that starting quarterback. And what happened there? I did. So I backed up Josh Rosen while I was there. And then Josh had a shoulder injury about a couple weeks into the season. I had to step in and uh, did pretty well. And, you know, it was one of those deals where it was, it was a tough situation, but I think we made the most of it. 
and it, it was a lot of fun to go out there and you know represent my school. I was now UCLA coached by Chip Kelly, uh, used to coach at Oregon, used to coach my Philadelphia Eagles, uh, and uh, almost ruined them. <laughs> but, uh, uh, what do you think Chip has done? Is he bringing UCLA back to where it used to be? Yeah, I, so I, I played when I was there. I was with uh, Jim Mora, and and I didn't actually get the ch- chance to ever meet Chip because he came after me. But just watching him as kind of a fan and an alumni, I think he's done a great job. And, and I'm excited to see what he does this year because he's got a lot of guys returning and, and it looks like he had a pretty good team last year. And, you know, we're just, we're just cheering for him and hoping he can get it going because it's always, it's always fun to see your team win. For the Empire, what is the potential of this team? What do you, do you, can you see this team getting back to the championship game? Yeah, I think the potential is limitless. I mean, it's such a – when we're – connecting and, 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 and rolling on all cylinders, it's it's really hard to stop our offense, and we have so many great returners on defense, and, and our line has been fantastic so far. There's been no problems, and it, it really is one of those seasons where, you know, this is probably the best team that I've ever been a part of, and, and, I, and I had the opportunity to win the championship in 2019 in Jacksonville, and it, it, there's been a lot of similarities to that championship team down there, and I think... Uh, Again, it's just limitless potential, and it's it's very exciting. Yeah. Just look at the schedule here. In fact, uh, you'll see Jacksonville April 30th. Yeah. Uh, what's that going to be like down there? I, you know, I actually I had my eye on that one. That's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. I got a lot of friends down there, and I love the I love the area down there. The fans are so great, and it was it was tough to leave, but. It was it was easy when you had such a good organization to come into up here, and but no, I'm definitely excited to play them, and that's gonna be a great game to compete with those guys. What makes this sport fun? I mean, we we've seen the the old Arena Football League. I mean, it lasted for a long time until it went, it went under. Obviously, there's another league out there as well. But what makes playing indoor football so much fun? Well, for me, selfishly, throwing a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> you get to throw it every play. It's a quarterback's dream, you know. So it, it's just it's fun in the, in the sense of you can just you, stuff pops wide open, and when you when you really learn the game and you understand it, it, it it's you get in that 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 flow state very quickly. And and for the, for me, that's exciting because you can get in a rhythm, and it's and it's and it's hard to stop you when once you're once you're clicking on all cylinders. So that, that's what I would say would be the most fun about arena. Well, Mike, appreciate a few minutes uh, here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Good luck this season. Hopefully we'll talk with soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be back anytime. Thanks for having me. Coming up, I'll look back on the great NHL career of the late Mike Bossy with former New York Islanders broadcaster Jake McDonald. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school. Plus, all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. 
This is Union College Hockey TV analyst Brian Unger. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Line, Tambellini with it. Dave Tambellini over to Dave Lonjevin. Ahead for Tonelli. The crowd reacts as Bossy is on the ice. He's over the line. Shoots one to the fly. Graham is in goal for Quebec. Around the shot. Richard. He dumps it to the line. Here's Trotche with it. Trotche is checked by Rochefort. Ryan Trotche on the right wing boards. Tried to set up Bossy in front, but that was cleared. Right to Trotche to Bossy. Shoots. He scores! Mike Bossy has his 50th goal! That was the call by Jiggs McDonald on Sports Channel New York on January 24th, 1981, when Mike Bossy became the second player in National Hockey League history to score 50 goals in 50 games. Bossy one of the most prolific goal scorers in NHL history, and a four-time Stanley Cup champion, died last Friday at the age of 65 after a battle with lung cancer. To talk about Bossy and some of the other losses the Islanders' family has suffered off the ice this season is Jiggs McDonald. Jiggs, uh, appreciate you coming on. It's been a long time since we've chatted, and I, uh, again, I'm glad we got a chance to chant talk here, unfortunately under some tough circumstances. Yeah, not ideal circumstances, but uh, certainly good to reconnect, Ken. I enjoy this. I, pre- I enjoy this, too. Thank you again. What do you remember about that night in, in January of 81? You know, it, it, it comes back as a, a night when the game was getting late, or late into the game, and, and Boss had had his looks, had had his chances. Uh, nothing had gone for him. And you thought, well, it's probably not going to happen. I think we were down to the final five or six minutes of the third period. And uh, he was on the left side, on the goaltender's right, when uh, when Brian Trotche got the puck to him, and bang, it's in the net. And, of course, the dance began and the celebration. But really, uh, Brian recalling last week, and it, I, I got a chance to look at the video again, and Brian was exactly right. It wasn't a perfect pass. The puck was bouncing. Mike got, got control of it, as he always did, and it's in the net. Ken... I always maintained you could take Michael Bossy, blindfold him, spin him around until he was dizzier than he, anybody would ever want to be, put the puck on his stick, and he would hit the net. I know. He, he had that uncanny ability. It's a, yeah, looking at his career stats, I mean, nine straight seasons of 50 or more goals, uh, but uh, six seasons of 60 goals. I mean, if he doesn't, you know, back injuries don't curtail his career. At the end of 1986-87, my, my God, he, do you think he could have gotten 700, 800 goals in his career? I, I don't doubt it for one second. Not not at all. As long as uh, the Islanders maintained a contract with Brian Trotte, uh feeding the puck. And it wasn't just Brian. I, I shouldn't center it on Brian by any means. Uh, Denny Potvin, uh, Stefan Pearson. Uh, th- these people had the uncanny, uncanny ability to find Boss, and Michael would have told Brian, and told Dennis especially, put the puck off the boards, put it up ahead of me, let me skate into it. Don't try and put it on my stick all the time. Let me skate into it. And, you know, when you rewind the, the videotape and go back to so many of his goals, the puck is bumped off the boards, Boss, he gets to it, gets open, he had that uncanny ability again to get open and hit the net. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, being a Flyers fan for such a long time and seeing what he did to the Flyers, in, you know, in my teenage years, it's just you, 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 as a kid back then, you hated him for just the way he was so good. But you, as you grow older and get more in depth of what he had done, it's it's truly amazing. I mean. Uh, that he was able to do it. I mean, it was a tougher game back then too, because I mean, you had fights all around, and to be able to do what he did, and yeah, you know, just truly amazing. And I, I, it's a shame that his career ended the way it did. Yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, it was a different game then, Cam. The the clutching, the grabbing, the cross checking, the holding, the the things that went on that he had to battle through just to, just to find open ice. Uh, and it was during an era of shadowing. Uh, I mean, Bobby Hull had his shadow, Mohabalich had shadows, uh, you, you just, uh, you check, 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 and then op- oftentimes with Islander games, teams would put two guys on Bossy, but he always found a way. He, simply put, he was a perfectionist. He practiced as hard as he played. There was no day off, no easy going. Michael was just, he, he was driven. And I think part of that was the fact that he was, not selected until the 15th choice overall in the draft, uh, had been bypassed by Montreal, his hometown team. Several teams had uh, taken a look at him. I know uh, going back, the player by the name of Dwight Foster, who ended up with the Bruins, had been uh, regarded as, as a better player, better all-round player than Mike Bossy coming out of junior hockey. And Bossy's stats compared to anybody else, of course, had blown away but the, the Islanders took the chance, and he said, uh, I, I'm going to reward you, and I've got something to prove. And I was re- I think I saw a tweet from Howie Rose, uh, who used to call the Islanders games after you left, and now uh, does the Mets. He said the Rangers not only passed over Bossy once, but passed over twice in the first round. That's right. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, and I think a lot of that was um, at, at that time, and, and even up until more recent years, the Quebec League had been looked at as a no-defense league. There was just run and gun, shoot the puck, shoot the puck, put up big numbers. Uh, the guy couldn't play defense. And, and there's many, many stories about the Islanders, uh, scouting staff saying, well, you know, this, this guy, this guy is, is one-dimensional. And reportedly, Al Arbor said, we can teach him to play defense. If he can score, we can teach him the other part of the game. Um, and he, and he did. And like I said, he was proud. He he just wanted to be the best that he could possibly be. Yeah, I'm looking at the stats right now. The only year he had a minus uh, in his plus minus was his final year of minus eight. But other than that, man, plus 380 for his career. So I think he learned how to play defense a little bit. <laughs> oh, he sure did. Sure did. You know, one of, one of the cute stories uh, going back, uh, the line – for most nights, the line was uh, Clark Gillies on the left, Brian Drache in the middle, Mike Bossy on the right. And Clark Gillies had one of the finest senses of humor that I've ever encountered in the National Hockey League or around, around life in, in general. Uh, Clark would always say, you know, if that guy in the middle of Trache was only a right-handed shot, if he was right-handed, I'd be the guy getting all those goals <laughs> instead of Boss. <laughs> So, what did what did Bossy mean to the Islanders? I mean, was he that pre Butch Goring acquisition? Was he that final piece of the puzzle that started really toward making the Islanders a, a dynasty in the eighties? 
I think so. I think uh, really when they, they finally found the connection, and early on at, at training camp, now I wasn't there, of course, when Michael arrived. I, I came to the Islanders in the fall of 1980 after they'd won their first Stanley Cup. Uh, but I'm told that uh, there were a lot of eyebrows, uh, you know, just kind of twitching a little. Maybe Maybe this guy isn't as good as we thought he was. Uh, maybe he isn't ready to step into the NHL. And it was a while before they put him with Brian and the connection was made. And it was made, uh, I guess, just prior to the start of the season, late in training camp. And they, they just connected. They connected on and off the ice as well. But, uh, yeah, he, he was the guy that gave them that added dimension. And then they uh, they had those, well, the playoff series against Toronto and there was one other where you learn, you learn from your losses. And uh, adding Butch, of course, has been heralded as the key. But getting getting a goal scorer, getting a sniper like Michael Bossy into the lineup, was huge for that hockey team. Yeah, I mean, I mean think about also the goals he scored. I mean, he also had a career high, uh, 553 assists, including uh, career high 83 in the, in the season in 81-82. So he was more than just a goal scorer. Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely. He he was a motivator. He, uh, Mike. Well, I said earlier, Ken, a perfectionist. He uh, he knew the marketing aspect of the game as well. Every time he came down the hall for a pregame interview, that Titan hockey stick came with him, and that Titan hockey stick made sure it was in the frame, in the picture, uh, and held so that you saw the red Titan hockey stick. He he marketed. He did so well for uh, the company that. Uh, that sponsored him or, or gave him some extra income uh, off the ice. He was uh, as as cordial as could be. He just he, he was just driven. He he, he could motivate uh, just by his presence alone. I mean, he normally there was a smile on Mike's face, but every now and then, if you got the bossy glare, you know you better better straighten up, whether it was on the team bus or around the, the hotel. Uh, Michael, just with his look alone, could make you toe the line. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of Bossy, I think of you know, some of the players in my youth, like Reggie Leach, we don't have those guys that can skate down the wing and just fire a puck. We're all, it's all dump and chase now and you know, working hard and trying to get that goal. Is that something a, a player, a Bosque-like player, maybe Austin Matthews might be there or Alex Ovechkin, but they're few and far between from when uh, I was watching uh, hockey back in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah, exactly. You, you've nailed an area that bothers me a lot, and that is the, the coaching at the youth hockey level, uh, across everybody it seems to be from what i'm seeing anyway everybody has to play the same everybody has to play the game the same way and individual skills seem to be overlooked they're not honed uh if, if you've got a talent like a, a guy that can snipe can shoot the puck let the kid work on it let him let him get better with, with that degree of, of talent that he has but it, it just seems to me now that every Every youth hockey program is play this way. Everybody has to play the same, and that's the dump and chase and scramble around the net. Well, maybe it'll hit something and go in, or maybe it'll be a rebound. Um, the, the sniper era 
other than the couple of guys that you mentioned, just doesn't seem to be in our game anymore. It seems like to me, coaches forget the object of the game is to score more goals on your opponent. It's, it, it seems like when teams get up three goals, they, they sit back and start playing defense. And you're basically you know, you know, going to a shell and playing prevent defense, prevent you from winning. I, I, I would rather see teams just, just you know, play uh, just scores at will. I mean, if you want to put an opponent down, just get him, have him lose lose their confidence. Just just keep playing. Just don't don't change your style. And you have you get great production like Mike Bossy and the guys back in the seventies and eighties did. Yeah, let them go. Show show your ability. Show your talent. Uh, yeah, I agree. The, the, the game has changed so much over the years. Uh, we talk about the speed of the game. Uh, size of the players, the equipment has changed. Uh, the one thing that hasn't changed is the size of the net and the size of the ice surface. Uh, just let let them go. Let let them show what skills they have. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Clark Gillies earlier. Uh, we, of course, uh, it's been a tough year for the Islanders off the ice, as I mentioned in the open. Uh, uh, Gillies uh, died on January 21st of cancer, and uh, Jean Potvin, the brother of Dennis Potvin, uh, passed away on March. 15th. I mean, how difficult a year has this been for the Alvarez family? Yeah, very, very difficult. And there's another name I'm going to add to the mix as well, Ken, if, if you will. Uh, Randy Boyd. Randy didn't play for the Islanders during the, the dynasty years, but when you think back to uh, the anniversary of the Easter epic, Randy Boyd played in that game. Randy Boyd played right wing. In fact, if I recall, it was Randy Boyd who knocked Kelly Rudy over after LaFontaine had scored when they, when they <laughs> went back to, uh, to celebrate. It was Randy Boyd, I believe, who jumped at the, into Kelly Rudy's arms, and uh, the two of them ended up in the... Anyway, Randy was, was part of that 93 team, uh, or I'm sorry, the 87 team, and um, we lost him earlier this year, I think, if I recall correctly, January as well. Mm-hmm. Um or late December. Yeah, it, it has been a, a very difficult year, and this upcoming weekend is the alumni weekend, and I know there are some major tributes when the guys get together. It, uh, it, it'll it be a little somber, no question. Yeah. You mentioned the Easter epic, I mean, or the 35th anniversary, as we're talking uh, right now. Uh, what do you recall about that night? I was working in York, Pennsylvania at the time, and I had just come back from Rochester covering the Hershey Bears, who were eliminated from the uh, first round of the Calder Cup playoffs. And I had set my tape up uh, at VCR to the uh, home team sports coverage of it because uh, the ESPN coverage was blacked out in that area because we had home team sports with the Mike Forns and Al Koken calling the game. And I recall getting out of work at midnight, and the game was still going on. And you know, like two thirty in the morning when it finally ended with LaFontaine's goal. And what was that night like? It was, you talk about a marathon. Uh, it, the, the most difficult part for us, us being Eddie Westfall and myself, was that as the period ended, we had a little recap to do. And by now, all the media were across the hall in the uh, in the media room. And the lineup to get to the men's room facility was so long, we weren't going to be able to, to make it and get back in order to well, do the segment that we had to do during the intermission. Uh, you talk about um, squirming. 
uh, uh, sitting tight, so to speak. Uh, when the puck went in from La Fontaine, uh, you said, oh, no, I didn't. Uh, squeeze tighter. We, we just did not get an opportunity to use the men's room. Uh, that, that's the one thing that stands out of my mind, just how, how long... <laughs> <laughs> how long it was uh, away from the, the game aspect we uh, we flew back to New York we being the Islander team we were chartering out of Baltimore and couldn't get out of Baltimore uh, the plane couldn't couldn't get there it was leaving New York I believe and going back and the fog in New York was such that we sat I think we sat till nearly 7am uh, before we were able to get on the charter flight back to New York uh, got home that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, and then turned around and went to Philadelphia that night to start uh, the next series on the Monday 18th. You're probably better off just busting to Philadelphia after you get stuck on the tarmac like that. <laughs> it probably would have been, yeah. yeah I, I, You know, I don't think they were even... I don't recall anybody saying, bring extra clothing, uh, you know, we're, we're going to Philadelphia after this. We, we just trucked on back to Long Island. What I recall most about that, the good game-winning goal, is like I said, Mike Forns was calling it for home team sports uh, in the Capitals at the time, and the, 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 the disgust in his voice when the goal was scored is like it was like a shot and a goal. It's like he was just so disgusted that this happened the way it did. And you know, the Capitals back yeah. then did their playoff. You know, they always had some weird things happen to them in the playoffs, and then that was just another feather in their their cap. Who was probably every bit as disgusted was uh, a guy by the name of Scott Stevens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware. Scott is my second cousin. Ah. And uh, and his his dad Larry and grandfather Earl had been visiting, and uh, the word was through through Earl and uh, and Larry and Scott feels this is the year they're, they're knocking off the Islanders. Got their number this year. Uh, don't be so sure. Yeah. I don't want to be cocky. Don't be so sure. The, this Islander team, yeah, it's it, it's not the dynasty team, but there's, there's still some, some really good talent, and Bossy wasn't playing at that time. Um, there's still some pretty good talent. We'll see. <laughs> and uh, just the look of dejection when they saw Scott on the way out of the arena afterward, it, it just it said everything. But, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, well, at the time... And I guess it still holds the game. Uh, the length of the game still holds some NHL record, I believe, for what a game seven and yeah. the first round and all that stuff. It uh, it was memorable. The Easter epic. Yes. loved it. It was a great uh, great night for the Owners and Jeeks. Uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. We had some tough circumstances. Uh, it's great to get your insight into uh, Mike Bossy and what he was like and. Uh, and uh, again, appreciate it, my friend. And it's great to catch up with you. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk soon. I look forward to it. Thanks, Ken. I enjoyed being with you. All right. Thank you, Jigs. That's Jig McDonald. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. I'll also have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest. Did I make it three straight wins? Stay tuned and find out. It's been a trying year for parents. They've been confronted with countless challenges and have always risen to the occasion. If it isn't too much to ask, the 370,000 high school student athletes in New York 
have one last request. Please set an example. Disorderly fan conduct at high school athletic events is on the rise. It increasingly involves parents. There's no question that parents are passionate. There's no question they care about their children. But at a time when we're all wound a little more tightly than usual, it's worth remembering this about New York high school sports. Always be a good example. Stop unruly fan behavior before it starts. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 9 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is Herb Frank of Mayfield. Herb wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Herb. The VIP winners are Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC. And for the third consecutive week, me. <laughs> My dartboard accuracy has been uncanny. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you'd like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Tom Minaz, Mike Faithful, and Jiggs McDonald for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers, I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.